Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Brethren in Christ, Laudato Jesus Christus, welcome to the Meaning of Catholic. My name is Timothy S. Flanders. Today we're going to talk about Lenten practices, and specifically prayer. We're going to talk about the Divine Office and the Rosary, uh, particularly going through a lot of the breviaries that are out there, how to pray the Divine Office. It's kind of complicated, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. We'll also talk about some some other practical things, but first we wanted to address a question. <coughs> um, somebody asked about drunkenness, and... Um, I think what I'm going to do, what I think would be helpful, is if we, we all just read through this together. Um, if I just went to the very beginning of Prumer, we just started breaking down all the basic 101 moral theology, which unfortunately we're deprived of as lay people because our priests have been deprived of it. So that's what I think, I'm, if I have time, my wife is um, currently due with our daughter. She's due uh, February 21st, so please pray for safe delivery and... Um, our daughter, Rosemary Judith, be born healthy and baptized very soon. Um, so pray for my wife. Um, so I don't, I don't know what time I'll have in the, in the coming weeks really to, to continue making shows and whatnot. So, um, that's all on, maybe put on hold depending, but, um, I think it'd be very helpful if we just kind of went through moral theology together, uh, step by step, um, so hopefully that's in the works. We're also, the, the podcast is coming. Uh, it's currently on the website, meaningofcatholic.com. There's a tab called Podcast. You can download them. Um, and it will be on iTunes eventually. I just have a friend doing it pro bono. So um, once we get everything taken care of, then we, we, you'll be able to download it on that on iTunes and whatnot. So it's coming. Um, in the meantime, just want to thank all our patrons. Um, thank you for your support. This is a family apostolate. I'm a father with children. I work three jobs. This is one of the things that I do that makes some extra income for our family. So I appreciate your support. So thank you. Um, so without further ado, uh, drunkenness. What is the moral theology of drunkenness? So Primer first starts with the, the virtue of sobriety. He says, sobriety is the virtue regulating man's desire for and his use of intoxicating drink. Now remember, Thomas says that a virtue is a mean between an excess and a defect. Now, the defect would be to shun all drink whatsoever. You know, you wouldn't drink at all. Now, certainly anyone, anyone can make like the Nazarite vow and someone can just choose to abstain from drink. But you can't, you're not, Catholics are not permitted to make a moral judgment and say that drinking itself is wrong always because obviously our Lord, um, at his first miracle was changing water into wine, not wine into water. So, um I mean, we could go on and on about the the morality of drinking, um, but uh, so we can't we can't say that. But then, so that that would be the defect, really, in the in one sense. And then you have the excess. The excess is obviously drunkenness, and that is a grave sin, which means it can be mortal if you're aware of it. So it's it's being completely drunk is a mortal sin, and. There's lots of reasons for that. So let's let's get into the definition. Primer says, drunkenness is a deliberate excess in the use of intoxicating drink or drugs to the point of forcibly depriving oneself of the use of reason for the sake of gratifying an inordinate desire for such drink and for the sake of, or, and not for the sake of promoting health. Sorry. Um, so it's, so you, you, it's an excess of drink and it's deliberate 
and you're doing it for the sake of gratifying an inordinate desire for drink and not for health. So you can drink, as the Holy Scripture itself says, St. Paul tells Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach. So wine and drink can be just health benefits, but it also just serves a social function because it's something that um, men make merry, men and women, obviously. People make merry because they drink, you know, as, as a way of celebrating. Um, it's, it's a very cultural uh, every culture has had their has their own fermented drink that they've created. Um, so it's part of the concupiscible appetite. We talk about food, and you know we're we're getting closer to Lent right now. We're in Septuagesima. We've been talking about fasting, so you can go and watch the daily videos to talk about fasting. We're going to talk about other things, but in Lent we're uh, abstaining more from drink. Obviously, you can do that if you want, but more in Paschal tide, that's when we drink to celebrate to. Um, celebrate the resurrection. So it's a good thing to take a moderate amount of intoxicating drink in order to celebrate. Um, and it's okay, it's, it's permitted, it's illicit to take pleasure in what is good as long as it's moderated and not inordinate. So, um, so the, the key word here is depriving oneself of the use of reason. So basically the virtue of temperance is the overarching virtue here where sobriety is the particular virtue governing this particular use of drink. So everyone must find that, uh, that point where, you know, your reason will begin to be impeded. Um, you know, when you have a, when you're drinking and you may have one drink, two drinks, and then you feel the effects of the alcohol. And typically, um, the, I mean, your, your reason is not deprived right away. You, you feel the effects before your reason is deprived. So, you know, you feel where you're kind of hitting the limit of your drinks, um, where you're not, you're still, you're still perfectly in, in uh, possession of your reason. So you, you haven't entered into any state of drunkenness. You're just feeling the effects of the intoxication. So it's nothing, and it's nothing serious. Like you can still drive, um, you know, you, you can still function perfectly, but you do see, you feel some of the effects, you know? So, and everybody should be able to learn that virtue. They need to learn that at some point in their life, as they grow up, they need to learn the virtue of sobriety so that they can, they can make merry with their friends with drink as is right and proper at feast days and things of that nature. And, um, so they can make merry with their friends, um, but do so and be control of their self. So um, it, it seemed to be what Primer is getting at here. And he, and he even says, he, he further says, any state short of complete drunkenness is of itself venially sinful. So what I, what I gather from what he's saying is that when you're deliberately depriving yourself of the use of reason, um, even if it's, if it's a slight, you know, when you hit that limit where you know the effects are coming on and then you still take more drink, then you're committing at least a venial sin, according to Prumer, because you are knowingly depriving yourself of reason. So I think that's that's kind of the the plumb line here. Um, now he does even he does even mention he says if there is a sufficient cause, such as a desire to rid oneself of the feeling of depression, there is no sin, provided that it does not give rise to scandal or other evils. So he even allows drinking for the sake of coping with. A difficulty, and this is ty- this is some. I mean, this is this this. I would I see at least this is my opinion. I I see that falling under the same use of food. You know, if someone's depressed and they you know 
for, I mean, for maybe a good reason, you know, if you lost a loved one or something, you may want to just eat some food and it's, you know, people call it comfort food. And it's just using the, using the concupiscible appetite for the virtue of eutropelia. Eutropelia is right recreation, which means taking pleasure. So giving your concupiscible appetite pleasure so that you can rest because this life is weary. And so even taking drink, Prumer says, if you're depressed, obviously moderated, you, you can't become an alcoholic, but, you know, taking a drink to relax you, you know, to deal with stress or things like that is, is sort of in the same category as just taking food or other, other lawful pleasures, which allow you to have the virtue of eutropelia, that, which is that right radiation. So it's all, about, it's all about that moderation, not too much, not too little, as long as it's a lawful thing. Um, so that's kind of gets into that. And I hope that answers your question. One of our patrons, I was asking about that. Hope, hopefully that gives you some clarity um, from Primer. And like I said, we're going to hopefully get into this in the future. So now uh, I had another question. Somebody had bought the two source books. Now besides Primer, so once again, Primer has the Handbook of Moral Theology, okay? This one, if you go to the website, there's um, resources. I have it linked on the show notes. But there is an online version of this you can get it for PDF. And to my knowledge, this is in the public domain. So if Roman Catholic Books, if you're watching this and this is not in the public domain, please uh, contact me because I, I sent you an email, but I never heard back. So I don't know. It appears that you're, it's in public domain, but I can't tell. So I apologize if I'm illegally uh, distributing this on my website. But um, this, to my knowledge, is out of print, but it was printed by Roman Catholic Books. I found a used copy online. You, typically they're really expensive, unfortunately, but this one was like 60 bucks. Uh, you, typically I've seen them for like a hundred bucks. But um, so the other two books I have confirmed, unfortunately, none of the, neither of these are in the public domain. So I wish I could give them to you for free, but you do have to buy them. I, I would say they're money well spent. I think I got this. This is published by um, Preserving Catholic Publications, PCP. They do a lot of great work. They have a Catena Aria, which is somewhere around here. This one, side note. This is the, and you can get all this online for free. So that, that, and that is on the website. So that's total public domain. So, but this is the uh, Catena Aria. This is the patristic commentary on the gospel. So that you must have this if you want to read the gospel. So anyway, side note, but so there's uh, sources of Catholic dogma, which is the, those are the, this is the source book for basically all doctrine. Um, and this, this go, this was published during the pontificate of, of Pius XII. And this is one of the good Germans. We got two good Germans here. We got Ludwig Ott and we got Denziger, Josef Denziger. And so this is, this is a must-have book for anyone who's serious about doctrine. Um, and it's basically just a source text, which means it's just a long uh, string of quotations from the very beginning that just goes through all the popes and the councils and authoritative statements on all sorts of doctrines. Um, what you want to do with this is if you get this, and I think this is cheaper than... Um, than fundamentals. I believe fundamentals is actually like 60 or 70, if I recall. Um, but I think this one is cheaper. I don't remember. It's been a long time since I bought it. But what you want to do is you want to go all the way back. Um, when you get this book, I would not recommend starting at the beginning. What I would recommend is going to, there's a, a great, again, this is the good Germans. This is what good Germans do. Um, you go to the systematic index of dogmatic and moral matters. Okay, so there is this long index where it goes through all of the basic doctrines of the Catholic faith. 
and then it has these reference notes. So then you, you, get, you get a number and you go to that number and then it's got that primary source when that pope said that thing at that year. So it has that exact thing about whatever you're looking up. So then you want to really use this for a reference, reference text and you can use this index, the subject index. Um, the table of contents is more chronological so it's harder to use, but I would, I would recommend using the back if you use the index, the, the systematic index, which is more of a catechism, or the alphabetical index where you can look up individual things. So this is a great source textbook. Um, it's another great, it's a, another great thing about it is it has a great compendium of all the, the classic encyclicals from Gregory the 16th, Marare Vos, uh, to Pius the 9th, the Syllabus of Errors, going through Leo the 13th, and it's a great compendium because it, it doesn't have all the encyclicals, the full thing, it just has all the, the biggest points in those encyclicals so the the, the big meat that you really need of those encyclicals Denziger's take Denziger takes those encyclicals and puts them in there so I really love just if I ha ever have just some basic time it's it's really great I, I love looking up you know like Pius the ninth and just like reading through a lot of the modern stuff when he's he's talking about modern errors um, so it's a really great textbook really a must-have uh, for anybody especially fathers trying to get through this crisis, teaching their family, teaching the faith. Um, so the sources of Catholic dogma, Denziger, this is a must-have. Um, so I hope that helps if anybody has that, if anybody's new to that text. So then the other textbook is Fundamentals of Catholic Dogma by Ludwig Ott. Um, now this one is really great because he not only goes through the doctrines, but then he also codifies each of them as to their theological note. So we talked about the theological notes, and that's, in my opinion, one of the most important concepts that we need to recover because it really brings into focus the levels and degrees of binding force. Like we talked on Monday about Catholic social teaching, and especially in that, in that um, area of teaching, we really need to be cognizant of the level of binding authority because a lot of people can come around and say, well, Catholic social teaching says this or says that, but we need to distinguish between what are the essentials, dogmatic um, binding doctrines about Catholic social teaching, and then what are the more probabilist doctrines the, or the free opinion doctrines where, you know, a Catholic can disagree about certain economic policies, but we also can't be communists. So we can't be a communist, but there are certain other free opinions that we can we can have about economics so it's very important um and Ott does such a great job where what i would do is if you if you got if you get this text this is a really if it was reprinted by baronius they did a really great job on this um and uh what i would do here is i would just just page through it and then read all these bold uh doctrines that are just bolded and then they say it has the bold doctrine that says right next to it, it says the level of the theological note. So it says, uh, for example, the existence of God can be proved by means of causality. That's kind of a technical, let me get an easier one. That's kind of, uh, let's see. Um, so the, okay, God's nature is incomprehensible to man. De fide. Okay, so he's rating that particular proposition as a de fide proposition if you don't believe that, you're in the mortal sin of heresy, at least material heresy, that is. So that is a de fide proposition. We all have to believe that it's binding. Um, you know, whereas you go to all these other propositions like sententia certa, it's going to be a lower proposition. So it's still binding, but you know, to a lower degree. So what I would do with Ott is I would just page through it and just read these bolded 
doctrines. You may be surprised at some of these doctrines that you didn't realize they were de fide, or maybe you didn't realize they were lower, and you thought they were a low, you know, some kind of bigger necessary doctrine because people talk that way. But um, this is, you know, it's going to be something lower. So, um, there, and the reasons Ott and Denziger are authoritative is because they're basically codifying everything that's authoritative and putting it in one place. Um, so that that's why Ott and Denziger have been recognized since they were published to be uh, very authoritative text because they're basically just putting together what's authoritative. So those are the good Germans, Josef Denzinger, Ludwig Ott, the good Germans to save you from the bad Germans who are now wrecking havoc in Germany today. Uh, shout out to Volke. Let's pray for Volke to continue to stand strong and also Schneider, also another good German. Um, so that is, those are some of those basics. I wanted to talk about the Holy Rosary. Because before we talk about the divine office, we have to discuss the fact that the Holy Rosary, St. Saint Louis de Montfort says that the Holy Rosary is actually a, of a higher form than the divine office. And the reason he gives is this. The divine office is essentially just the Psalter. The Psalter is the prayer book of the church, it's the hymnal. Um, you can buy my book. We go. We, there's a whole chapter about the Psalms where we go through the proper understanding of the Psalms, which has been really obscured, unfortunately, and uh, also the meaning of every single Psalm. And so we go through that. Um, but De Montfort points out that in the Psalms, we're talking about a mystic, it's a sort of mystical language that describes Christ and his church. Now, the, the Psalms are understood to be the voice of Christ himself to the Father. And that is the voice of Christ. But it's also mystical because it was most of them were composed by King David. And so there's a mystical language. He's not talking explicitly about his crucifixion and passion. He's talking about it mystically. So when he says, they have pierced my hands and feet, they have numbered my bones, they stared and, and looked askance at me. You know, these are mystical phrases. You know, he's not talking explicitly about it. Whereas the rosary is an explicit meditation on the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ and the mysteries of his life, death, and resurrection. And so it's sort of a higher form of prayer, De Montfort argues, because it is meditating on sort of the reality, whereas the Psalms are sort of taking the shadow, the mystical words, and you can then transpose them onto the reality. But, um, I and I want to say also, I before... It, I guess, I mean, first of all, we should all be aware that Our Lady of Fatima asked that everyone pray one-third of the rosary. Now, when we talk about one-third of the rosary, we're talking about the 15-decade rosary. Now, some trads have a problem with the luminous mysteries. Um, I don't really know why that's a problem. Um, in terms of the actual rosary that was revealed to St. Dominic, it wasn't a part of that rosary. But meditating upon the life of our Lord, whether it's any of the 15 mysteries or the Luminous Mysteries, or some other event in the Gospels that aren't even in any of those mysteries, meditating upon the life of our Lord is always a salutary practice. You can't meditate on the life of our Lord without some salutary benefit. So I don't see a problem with the Luminous Mysteries per se, because you're just meditating on other mysteries of our Lord's life. So um, I, I personally do not pray the Luminous Mysteries simply because the because I can't fit them all in in one day. Um, but the, the, so the full rosary, per, um, quote unquote, is the 15 decades. Um, 
which I, I that's what I prefer to pray. That's my preference. Um, and so that's just what I do. But I don't have anything against the luminous mysteries. I don't. And I don't think any can anybody can make a reasonable case really against the luminous mysteries per se. Um, but Our Lady of Fatima did say, "Pray one third of the Rosary," meaning one, meaning five decades. Um, and so you need to be praying the Rosary every day because of Our Lady of Fatima. And I think we can. I mean, we can kind of speculate as to what, in particular, what reasons exactly. Why did she want us to pray the Rosary? Well. One of the things that I think is one of the most powerful things about the rosary is that St. Thomas says that the will follows the intellect. And that is simply a part of our constitution. Now, we've talked in the daily videos. If you want to go back, go in the playlist, Spiritual Life, we've talked all about the constitution of the human person, which is an intellect, a will, and the, the appetites. Um, now, the intellect is that which knows the truth, and then the will is that which is, is ordered towards doing the good. So the will follows the intellect, and what that means is the intellect tells the will what to do. The will is sort of a blind faculty, they say. It's, it just sort of goes along with what the intellect does. And what that means is when your intellect, when you're thinking about uh, bad things, when you're thinking about, you know, you're depressed, you're thinking about how bad things are, you're thinking about... Uh, woe is me, this, that, your will follows that so that it leads it to despair, it leads it to darkness or whatever it is. And I'm not talking about being overly optimistic, but there is, even when we face the darkness, there is a truth about the darkness which makes us always hopeful in the virtue of hope and hoping for God's mercy and goodness and truth and justice to correct the evil. So I'm not talking about being overly optimistic, but I am talking about meditating upon what's true, what's true about the situation or what, what's true about the crisis in the church. And what's true about it is that Our Lady said, my immaculate heart will triumph. That's the truth. And so when we think about this truth contained particularly in the mysteries of the Most Holy Rosary, when you start to think about that all the time, especially if you're doing the daily rosary, I challenge you to kick it up a notch and do the full rosary every single day. That's 15 decades. And one way to do it, <clears throat> oh, before we go to practicals, I want to just say, um, the praying the full rosary, I, I, it really changed my life. Um, I, I just want to try to tell you, try to convince you to do it, because I, I heard a lot of videos saying this has a, an amazing power of grace to you. And, and I found that it was absolutely true. And it really altered my spiritual life for the better um, because of just these graces. And I think that the what's so powerful is, is the way that when we, when we use our intellect and we just get in the habit of just always returning our intellect to the mysteries of our Lord and Our Lady, and we begin to just think and focus our mind always back again and again on these mysteries our will begins to follow that intellect. And guess what? You just, learn, you just start to lose interest in sin. You just start to lose interest. You're thinking so much about what is truly good and beautiful that you're just, you just lose interest in all these ugly, sinful things. And that's because God gives you this grace in the Most Holy Rosary to enter into this so that your mind is recollected towards God 
And that that's why it's so powerful. So I would, if you're already doing the daily rosary, think about upping that to a full rosary every single day in Lent. The um, one way to do it is if you're already doing your daily rosary, you can do your daily rosary, 15, 20 minutes, your, your 15, or I'm sorry, your five decades in the morning. You do your five decades, 15, 20 minutes. And then on your commute to work, you do another five decades. And then on your way back from work, you do the last five decades. So then you've got all 15 decades, all 15 uh, mysteries every single day. Um, and then I, I always pray the rosary at mass. I know this is kind of weird for some people, but that is what I've found that is, is very powerful and helpful for me to meditate on the Holy, the Holy Rosary and the Holy Mass because the Holy Rosary is a meditation on what the Mass is. The Mass is the representation, um, the representing of our Lord's passion and death and resurrection and also his life because the, the, the Mass of the Catechumens also shows forth his life in the gospel in the, you know, in the gospel readings. And so um, I, uh, I'll link an article that's it's just a, some meditations that have been helpful to me. If they're helpful to you, that's great. If not, just you can take it or leave it. But um, I pray the rosary at mass because it's that's been really helpful for me to, to get away from the distractions at the holy sacrifice and really enter into the mystery. So I'm going to link an article, um, how to pray the rosary at mass, if that's helpful to you. Um, so that's the rosary. I, I really encourage everybody to be praying the rosary every single day. Um, please pray the rosary. Our Lady Fatima asked for it. So I I don't usually ask questions when Our Lady just says to do something. I just do it. Um, and so, but I, I can see a lot of practical reasons why it's so powerful. So, but without further ado, I want to talk about the breviary, the divine office, um, also called the Liturgy of the Hours. Now, before I got met my wife and got married i wanted to be a benedictine monk and i prayed the divine office in the benedictine form for many years um and then as a side note it wasn't until i started praying the rosary that i was really been able to with god's grace to be, be able to enter into something deeper with god because of the rosary's graces not because of any of my work but um the point is that the breviary was very powerful for me, but the rosary was more powerful, I guess is what I'm trying to tell you is that, um, so the, but the breviary is, is a very, uh, maybe, maybe the holy sacrifice is first, maybe rosary is second, maybe the divine office is third, but it's also different for lay people and for religious and priests too, because religious and priests, they vow to pray the divine office every single day. So it is part of their life as a celibate man or woman, to be have that intimacy with God through the divine office. So we're going to talk about all the different breviaries. We're going to talk about some practical things about the, the divine office. Hopefully I can answer any questions. Um, if anybody wants to try to pray, work on praying the divine office um, during Lent. So um, as we said, the divine office is uh, really the, it's the public prayer of the church. And so Catholics for decades, centuries have been praying the divine office uh, it's really, it comes in different forms, but in the Western form, it is, the bulk of it is the Psalter. And it traditionally goes through all 150 Psalms every single week. Now, before this, St. Benedict's rule, in fact, makes mention that before that, they actually prayed the entire 150 Psalms every day. But St. Benedict says, we're going to relax that a little bit, and we'll do it every week. So he says, 
we are negligent and weak and soft. And that's why I'm allowing you to do it once a week. Uh, but at least once a week, you know, so he gives them this minimum. But that was actually relax relaxation of a even further rigor from before. But basically the divine office, the entire Psalter once a week. And as we talked about, the Psalter are the prayers of Christ himself, the Son of God, Son of Man, to God the Father. And it is also understood to be Christ in his church speaking. So that is why when, when so Psalm 38, 38 says, um, he has, oh, what does it say? It's like, it talks about my sins. The, the actual, the verse is, um, my sins. Uh, Rebuke me not, O Lord, in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy wrath. For thine anger is heavy upon me, uh, and my, my sores are putrefied, my, my sins are corrupted. So it says, my sins. But our Lord is still speaking there, and here's why. Our Lord is joined to the church as his bride that two have become one flesh. And so when our Lord himself speaks of my sins in the first person, it's the same way that our Lord said to Saul, 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 why do you persecute me? Even though our Lord had ascended into heaven and his body could not be persecuted, and yet his body was persecuted because we are his body. We are, as St. Paul says, his bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. And so our Lord does say, why do you persecute me? Because he identifies with us through our baptism. And so when he says, my sins, he's talking about the members of his body who are sinful and corrupted. And so our Lord takes upon himself, that, that's why the Psalter is so powerful, so mystical and powerful. Um, especially like we've talked about in our videos, against sins against the sixth commandment, sins of the flesh. When we talk about the violence of the Psalter, which is so much violence in it. And that's the violence of the Son of God against what he hates sin. He hates sin. That's what Jesus Christ hates. And that's what he does violence to. St. John says, the reason the Son of God was made manifest was to destroy the work of the devil. Our Lord is a destroyer. Exodus says, the Lord is a man of war. And that's what the Psalter gives us. It gives us the militancy of Jesus Christ against sin. But also, not only that, the Psalter is really, the, it runs the whole gamut of human temperament, uh, human experience, whether it's sorrow, praise, thanksgiving, uh, contrition, penance, and also this militancy. And so God gives us the Psalter, which are the words of Christ, as the prayer book of the church. So it's, these words are inspired of God. They're inerrant, they're holy, and they're sacred. And so that is what has made the Liturgy of the Hours, the sacred divine office, so sacred, so, so unique and special for pious hearts, pious souls, religious uh, first sectaries. And so, um, so that's going to bring us to our first, uh, we're going to talk all about the different breviaries you can get. Now, the first one is the Liturgy of the Hours. So this is the Reformed um, breviary. This is what most priests today will pray, and that's the Liturgy of the Hours. Now, the biggest difference immediately is that the Psalter is not put into one week. It's, it's divided against uh, over four weeks. That's the biggest difference immediately is that it's divided over four weeks. So you're not praying the entire Psalter once a week. It's over four weeks. In addition, as I've mentioned before, the Reformers actually didn't understand that the church took these militant, violent verses very seriously, and they had specific interpretations for these verses. 
And they just didn't like that, so they threw those out. They took out those verses, and they, they censored them. So even in certain psalms, like Psalm uh, 142 in the, in the Vulgate, that is, the very last uh, verses are removed. In thy mercy thou shalt destroy mine enemies, and thou shalt cut off all them that afflict me, for I am thy servant. That verse was censored out of Psalm 142 by this new office. And, so, and that's because they didn't understand that these verses are not about killing people. They're not about killing human beings. They're about vanquishing the world, the flesh, and the devil, the enemies of Holy Church. They're talking about destroying sin. It's not about killing human beings. And so that's what people didn't understand, and that was a lot of factors to that. And you can read my book if you want more understanding about why that happened. Um, But the plus about this office is that it really is the easiest office to pray. Um, it's the most common office. If you're not, unless you're a trad and you have a trad parish, um, you're going to be seeing this office prayed by the laity most of all. And so it is the easiest office to pray. The downside besides the Psalter is that the prayers are the old translation. So the third edition of the Roman Missal was long story. If you watch my video, um, today was a turning point for me that I go into it more details on this, but basically the old translation followed uh, Paul VI translation philosophy from Comme la Preba, which said that you basically, we just had to water everything down. And so the prayers in this one are really watered down. Um, they're not, I don't, I don't see a lot of overtly heretical stuff. I mean, there's not really serious errors, but it's just kind of watered down. And so it's just sort of, uh, soft and it doesn't really go go to the heart of even what the original Latin is saying. Um, the other problem is that the the hymns in this in this work are just total trash. Um, the hymns are are terrible. Um, they're just a bunch of uh, sentimental 1970s hymns. In fact, let me. I forgot to add something. Okay, I forgot to add this, and that is if you are praying the new office, and even if you're praying the old office. This is the hymnal for the hours. And this is your antidote to all the bad hymns that are in the Liturgy of the Hours. Because this actually has all traditional hymns. And it's for the new office, so it's designed for that. But it has all the traditional hymns, many of them in Latin. It's all arranged with the traditional melodies. And the hymnody is really amazing. I mean, this is actually, the Divine Office is really where hymns really shine. Um, hymn singing really was not a part of the Holy Sacrifice. I know that it became more popular, I think, in the 19th century, but hymns really, in the Latin tradition, come out in the divine office. That's where the hymns are really great. And these hymns are, you know, these things, these hymns, traditional hymns, go back centuries and centuries and centuries, go back to, like, St. Ambrose, and, you know, many of these hymns are written by fathers and saints of the church. So they go way back you know, things, uh, hymns like Tantum Ergo, that is a hymn uh, from, the, from the Divine Office. And so this is, this is your essential book that's going to be really great for you if, if you ever want to um, do the, the New Office or just any of the Divine Office hymns, because this is also going to overlap with a lot of the, the older office that we're going to talk about. So basically, so there's the New Office. Um, it's, it's the easiest to pray, but there's a lot of downsides. I do not pray this office. I think it's it's okay. It's definitely good for beginners as well, and it's also the most common one. So that's that's the new liturgy of the hours. So then, um, you also have 
so I don't I don't have a copy of it, but so the 1962 Rome uh, uh, Breviarum Monasticum uh, Romanum, the uh, Breviarum Romanum is 1962. There's a there's a I think it's a three volume set published by Veronius Press. Now the the initial downside of this Im- immediately is that I think that's about two hundred dollars. It's very expensive, very expensive set, and uh, so that's one of the biggest downside. Whereas the Letters of the Hours you can get one of those there's four volumes total you can get one of them for twenty dollars or so um cheap online it's a lot cheaper but um the baronius press version now the plus side is if you're at a trad parish and any of your trad parishes your priest is going to be praying this office that is the um breviarum romanum 1962 that is the version um that your priest is going to be praying and so the great thing about that is First of all, it's a weekly Psalter, so it, 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 ha- it preserves the traditional Benedictine um, custom of the entire w- w- Psalter once a week. By the way, the Greek Divine Office also does a weekly Psalter, so it is a really a, a much more universal custom to have the entire, off- the entire Psalter once a week, um, even though the Liturgy of the Hours threw that custom out and also took out Psalms. But, so you got the uh, Breviarum Romanum, that office um so the yeah the, so the biggest downside for layman is it's just so expensive um the other downside of that is that the english in that and i forgot to mention this uh, later the hours the um the english in the uh, in the 1962 is modern english and what i mean by that is it's, it's not sacred english sacred english english like a elizabethan english has these and thous it's um more of an antique english which Really, in my opinion, that's more that's far more proper for a sacred action. It's much more proper to use sacred English than the English you use on Twitter. You don't want to use the you know modern English for a sacred action. And so that's one of the downsides of the 1962 Baronius Press version is that it does have the U. It doesn't have these and thous for the English. So if you don't learn Latin, um, you're you're going to be stuck with this English that's it's not uh, sacred English. Um, now, if you do know Latin, it's pretty much great because you've got the whole 1960 office. Um, it also includes matins. Now, another note, and you again, I go far in far more detail in my book if you want to look at that. But in the Liturgy of the Hours, the new version, they're using a different Psalter. It's called the Masoretic Text. It's come from the Hebrew. And so a lot of the verses are different, and they lose their Christological significance when you use the different version that come from, came from the Jews, whereas we use the Christian Bible, which is the Vulgate, which comes from the Septuagint. And so I go on to that in the book, a lot more detail there, but um, so the, the 1960 office, you are going to, in the Latin, you are going to get the original Christian Psalter, that all the saints use that, use that Psalter, it's the traditional Psalter. It's going to have all the Christological references back in it um, that or le- that are kind of left out of the Masoretic text. So the biggest example is um, Psalm 21 says, they have pierced my hands and feet. But in the Masoretic, it says, at me like a lion. So it's a little bit different. It doesn't talk about the crucifixion. It talks about a lion. So there's a big difference there because that, that, that verse has a very strong Christological significance for the passion of our Lord. So using the Masoretic 
in my opinion, is a big mistake, and I tell you why again on the book. Sorry, I keep on going back to the book, but anyways, um, so there's the 1962. Like I said, it's great if you want to pray with your priest or with, you know at your church or whatever. Um, however, I would not recommend that either, and it, there's a few practical reasons why, because like I said, the, there's that sacred English is not there. If you don't know Latin, it's 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 harder because you got to use that other English, and also it's it's a lot more complicated. It's a very complex office. It's the liturgy of the hours is easy to figure out and do as a layman, but it's it's a more much more complex in the breviarum uh, romanum, 1960. Um, but uh, the plus is that it does have that. Um, the Psalter once a week, and so that's really great. Um, and it's also, if you're at a trad parish, Latin mass parish, your priest will probably be praying that office. And so, you know, if you ever want to organize a public recitation, a public prayer of the divine office, which used to be common, by the way, there used to be vesters in uh, on Sunday in many parishes. And some parishes, like St. John Cadish's in Chicago, does have Sunday vespers. And so, that would be the Vespers that you would be using. You would be using the 1960 breviary. So it, it, a lot of missiles, too. If you have the SSPX missile, the Angelus Press uh, missile for 1962, it does have the entire Sunday Vespers in it. And that Vespers is the 1960 version. And so that's that's important. That That's the plus, is that that's kind of the public prayer that you'd get at a parish is that version so that's the plus is that that's kind of the version you'd get now the version that i use is the benedictine now i'm going to tell you why i think this one also has a lot of pluses now we're going to talk about two different versions i have here so one is the um so first of all the benedictine version is going to have it's also going to have a weekly psalter the other difference is, however, it's going to have a, the Benedictine arrangement of the Psalms. Now, that means that the arrangement is going to be quite different than the Breviarum Monasticum. Now, or the, I keep on saying Monasticum. Breviarum Romanum, not Monasticum. I'm talking about the Monasticum right now. Um, the, Rom, the Roman Breviary has a different arrangement of Psalms. And now we're going to talk about the eight hours of the divine office, Okay. So, first of all, you've got matins, or also called vigils. Matins is prayed traditionally 3 a.m., it's dark out. Um, that prayer is prayed during the night. It's the night office. And this is where you get your Old Testament readings throughout the year. Um, there's, that's what, there is a, um, a prayer or a uh, Bible reading in the book. If you read my book, it's, I keep on plugging it. <laughs> but um, the, there's a, of Bible reading plan based on this Matins office. So the Matins office goes throughout the year and it, it reads through a great deal of, of the Bible. And that's where you get these Old Testament readings. So for example, during Septuagesima, which just started, the book of Genesis begins to be read. And so that's the part of the Matins. So that's the night office. Now in the Roman breviary, there are nine Psalms in Matins traditionally in a normal burial office. So burial office meaning a non-feast day, okay? So you got a non-feast day, normal day, you got nine psalms and Old Testament readings. You're also going to have the lives of the saints. That's one of the great parts about Matins is that even if you may not pray the entire office, you could just pull up the lives of the saints, which is really good. Um, and I'm, I'm going to forget to mention this, but IPATA, the IPATA app 
is a really great resource. And also divinumofficium.com. They also have these online. And so that's one of the great things you can do if you want to try to get going on the office before you buy any of these more expensive books. You could try it online for free and see what you'd like about it if that's something you want to do, add it to your discipline. Um, <clears throat> so, by the way, this this version is, um, this is I think it was more like $40 if I recall. This is the uh, Monastic Diurnal, which is only the day hours. This is not Matins. And this is published by St. Michael's Abbey. So this is a really, this is one I rec- would recommend for all lay people. Um, but basically, so there's the Matins. Now the difference between the the Breviarum Romanum, the Roman Breviary, that nine psalms, in the Benedictine office, it's 12 psalms. That's the biggest difference already. And so when you have the diurnal, the diurnal only does the day hours. So it's all the hours except for matins. But if you have 12 hours per 12 psalms per day in matins every single day, more than half of the the entire 150 psalms are in matins. So if you're praying the the, the diurnal, you're doing less than half of the psalms per week. But if you're layman, that's you shouldn't try to take on more than you can because it's, it's re- these are really more properly for monks who have time to do it, obviously. Now, you have matins. Matins is that night office, okay? So that's prayed during the night. Now, if you, if you learn matins, typically this, you learn matins really well, you can do it in about a half hour. Even the 12 psalm matins, you could do it about a half hour. Um, it's not that long. Now, if you're getting to know it and you're learning to do it and you're new, I would allot more like 45 minutes to it. Um, but if, if you're able to, you know, pray at a moderate pace, not too slow, not too fast, you can get matins done in about a half hour. Um, but then after matins, there is what's called lauds. Lauds takes its name from in the Benedictine office. It ends every single day with Psalm 148, 149, 150. And those are the laudate Psalms, which laudate praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the height. That co- that's where the, the term lauds comes from. Now, in the Roman breviary, they have a different arrangement of psalms, and so they actually, in lauds, they do not end every office with 148, 149, 150. And so that's one big difference. The other big difference is that lauds also begins every single day with Psalm 66 and Psalm 50 in the Benedictine office. And Psalm 50 is, Have mercy on me, O Lord, according to thy great mercy, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, do I my offenses. So Miserademei, that's the, the psalm of King David, the psalm of repentance. That's really the central psalm of the entire Psalter. And that's prayed every single day in the Benedictine office. So that's, that's one of the greatest things I love about a Benedictine office is that it has that Psalm 50 every single day. And once again, the Greek office also has the Miserere, I think it's twice actually, one in Compline and one in uh, Orthros, uh, if I recall. It's in, it's a daily psalm. So I really like that practice. I, I, I think it's a little tragic that the Roman breviary removed that custom of, of doing Psalm 50 every day. But, um, but so does that, but that basically that's Lauds. The biggest thing in Lauds is the Benedictus, which if you're in a, in a monastery, that's when they incense the altar. Everybody stands up. You make the sign of the cross. Benedictus is the, the it's, it also mentions the dawn from on high breaking upon us. So it's, it's, it has a, uh, a sense of the dawn. And the hymn for lauds is always mentioning the light coming forth and, and using this as a spiritual s- symbol 
for the day. So Lods is is all about the so it's kind of the night office of Matins and Lods comes towards the day when the when the dawn is coming. Um, the light is breaking forth and you're you're praising God, you're worshiping him. So that's Lods. Now traditionally then you'd have mass in a monastery. That'd be the the mass. Now every monastery is different. They have different arrangements of these, but this is kind of the basic gist of it. So that's um, so matins and lauds form the the morning office, and then there's mass. Now there's a there's another morning hour, and that's called prime. Now prime, st- the word means first. So it's talking about the first hour of the day. So this is the hour that transitions. So lauds is more of the theme of lauds is much more worshiping God. Obviously lauds means laudate, praise, praise the Lord. Whereas prime is much more of asking God for a blessing on your work. And so your prime is more like you're, you're about to start your work and prime is the office that you pray right before you start your work. And so prime is particularly a powerful hour. And what I'm going to say is if you're brand new, there's, we'll, we'll talk about this in just a few minutes. Hopefully this is not too long, but prime is one of the hours that's the easiest to learn of the new of the old office. Prime and Compline are really the two easiest. And the reason is because they change the least. So when you're going through this, lauds and also vespers and also matins are going to change a lot depending on the feast and the season and all sorts of things. But prime and Compline, in fact, Compline and the Benedictine office is exactly the same every single night except for the Marian Antiphon, which only changes four times a year. So Compline is, is exactly the same every single night. So that's really the easiest. I mean, if you're doing only one thing, I would start with Compline, because Compline is almost exactly the same. You can memorize it. It's just it, you know, it's every, every time the same. So, But um, Kvasniewski, Peter Kvasniewski, had a recent, uh, I think he's maybe doing a series at 1 Peter 5 about the Divine Office, really great resource there. Um, and Kvasniewski actually brings up that he's an oblate. So if you're an oblate, an oblate is a layman or laywoman who, um, oblate means to offer as an oblation, an offering to a monastery. So you're, you're connecting yourself to a monastery and it comes with a commitment to pray the office in some way. Um, and so I'm sure there's different requirements. I I know that, um, Kvasniewski is, uh, connected to Our Lady of Clear Creek, which to my knowledge is the only traditional Benedictine monastery in America. If you're in America, there's other ones in other places, but um, that's really that if you ever want to, if you're ever discerning to be being a monk, go to Clear Creek. Clear Creek is where you want to be. So anyhow, um, so Prime and Compline, those are the easiest to learn. So Kvasniewski makes mention of Prime and Compline Catholics and um, that's a really easy thing to learn. They, they change the least. And I want to try to get, get through the other hours really quick. But lamentably, prime was actually the, one of the hours that was struck from the liturgy of the hour. So the new office has no prime. It's, they kind of combined prime and lauds into one thing and just kind of took out prime. Um, well, what's great about the prime is that, so in lauds, you have basically psalms, a hymn. Now, in Matt, let me, let me back up. Matins, you, you've got a hymn, psalms, and readings. Okay, and that's the big difference in matins. You've got readings, whereas lauds, also the lives of the saints, I should, I should mention, the life of the, of the, the saint is in matins. So lauds, then you have, you have psalms, a hymn, and the benedictus. So it's all just praising and no really readings in lauds. Now prime, you have the hymn, which is a daily hymn that never changes. 
you have some psalms, and then you have a confidior. So you actually begin the day with a confidior. Now this, I believe, this is maybe only in the Benedictine office. I'm not sure because I'm not as familiar with the Roman office, but I, I maybe only in the Benedictine office. But you actually do a you do a con- confidior in the prime in prime to start your day, unless it's a major feast. You you omit that. Um, so then you also pray the Roman Martyrology, which is one of the greatest things about Prime is, pre- is reading the Martyrology, which is basically just a, a quick list of a bunch of the martyrs that died that day and their glorious martyrdom. And what's great about the Roman Martyrology is it, it really talks like Christians talk. Because nowadays people are lamenting the persecution of Christians among Mohammedans. And we should lament that, absolutely. But we should understand that when someone is beheaded by a Mohammedan, Typically, it's because they refuse to apostatize. So a man who refuses to deny Jesus Christ and is beheaded, that is a cause for celebration because that man has just won a crown in heaven. He's just become a glorious martyr of Jesus Christ, and he has defied the poison of Mohammedism. So we need to celebrate that, and that's what's great about the Roman martyrology is that it celebrates martyrs as they should be celebrated. And it so it starts your day with remembering all these men and women who were tortured and killed for Jesus Christ. What a, who can think of a better way to start your day than thinking about all these martyrs who tortured and died for Jesus Christ? Perfect start to your day. That's what's so great about the Roman martyrology, so great about Prime. So Prime, there you go. Prime, that's, so you pray Prime, you start your day, and then you have the little hours. Little hours are terse, sext, and known. That stands for third hour, sixth hour, ninth hour, a.k.a. 9 a.m., uh, 12 p.m., and 3 p.m. Um, so these are the little hours. Um, so this is one of the big differences also between the Roman breviary and the Benedictine is that in the Benedictine, it's actually easier to pray those because in the Benedictine, from Tuesday to Saturday, the little hours do not change. They're exactly the same psalms. And so, and these are the psalms of scent, which are just, they're just so perfect for this time of day. So it starts with Psalm 119. Um, when I was in trouble, I called on the Lord and he heard me deliver my soul, Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. So that's what you begin at 9 a.m. So you're, 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 the Psalms of Ascent are, are these, these Psalms that gradually, they're the gradual Psalms, also another name for it. So um, now in the, in the Roman breviary, the, the little hours have other psalms that they've redistributed. Because remember, they took out three psalms from Matin, so they got to redistribute those to the other hours to get through all the psalms every week. So those little hours have other psalms on them every day. So it's going to be a little bit more difficult to pray those. Um, but it is really great. One practice, there's a great volume Angelus Press puts out. They, I think it has Prime and Compline, and it also has Sext. So if you're a layman, if you want to pray the Divine Office, like I said, uh, Matin's... Typically, if you're really good at it, if you know it, familiar with it, it can be a half hour, of, or if you want to, if you need to pray it slower, more like 45. Lauds is about 10, 15 minutes. Prime is 10, 15 minutes. Um, so if you can block off an hour and you get you get familiar with the office, you can pray the entire divine office um, in, in an hour in the morning, and then you you go to work. Uh, 9 a.m. You pause. Terse, sex, and known. They all take about five minutes. Is what's great about it. So they just pause for five minutes. I usually I'm working at an office, so I actually pray the I pray the Psalms. I got a I got a stand up desk, and what I do is I I pull the stand up desk up, 
and I just do stretches <laughs> while I pray these, uh, the Psalms or the, um, the hours. And it's just a really great way to just pause for a second in your work day, recollect yourself, understand the presence of God, um, come into the presence of God and, and reset yourself so that you can go back to your work more recollected. So tourist section known. So then you get to Vespers. Now Vespers, if you're a layman, a great way to do that is you go, um, I'm able to take a break at work at the end of my day so I can take the last 15 minutes of my work day and actually just pray Vespers right there. Um, if you can't do that, another great practice is just to go, go to your, go to your car and then that's when you pray Vespers. So you leave in your work, you go to your car, you pray Vespers. Now Vespers is another great thing about the Benedictine is that the Vespers is, it's like lauds, but it's one Psalm shorter. Um, in fact, it's a couple songs because there's a few other psalms in, in laws you pray every day. So there's only four psalms in Vespers. You got four psalms, hymn, and then you have the Magnificat, which is the other, that's the, the, the bookend of the day. There's the Magnificat and the Benedictus. And then if you, if you have a, a general feast of any kind, there's special antiphons that you're going to have at the Benedictus and the Magnificat for a special feast. This, this is where the O, the great O antiphons come in. They come in at the Magnificat at, uh, at Vespers. So that's one of the great things is that, uh, like I said, the easiest way to pray the divine office, if you're a layman, you do, you do prime and compline because they're the, the easiest to learn. They, never, they rarely change. But what's great also, if you want to choose instead, you can do lauds and Vespers. And that's a really great thing too, because that's going to have a lot more of the, the changeable things for each feast. It's going to have special antiphons and special different things that come out at that time. Um, so that's, what's really great. Now, um, the, this is another, uh, real quick, I want to mention this one. So this is actually, um, this is published by Lancelot Andrews Press, and this is an Anglican Catholic uh, monastic diurnal. Now that means it's all in English. And, um, one of the great things is it has the older rubrics. Now the older rubrics, which are not in this version from St. Michael's and the older rubrics, you begin a feast at Vespers every time. So if you have a commemoration of a saint the next day, like today is St. Um, well, th today this is being recorded as St. Scholastica, but on Thursday, I don't know. I didn't check what feast day it is, but basically if you have a commemoration of a saint, it actually happens at Vespers the night before, and those are the older rubrics. Um, and some of that stuff I mentioned in Prime, I think, is only in the older rubrics, like the Confidior. Um, but I want to try to wrap this up and talk more practically, because then you have Compline. Compline is something you do before you go to bed. That's when there's a Confidior. You do an examination of conscience, um, and so and there's, so there's Compline. Compline is the great office as well. So that's the basics of what the Divine Office is. And like I said, I'm going to link, I'm going to link um, a great article from Taylor Marshall on his website where it talks about praying the divine office as a layman. And I talked a little bit about working that into your day. He mentions praying Compline with your spouse, which is a great idea. Just praying with your spouse, Compline at the end of the day. You know, you can do all the other hours on your own. Um, but it's a really great practice as well. Um, but basically the, the biggest thing about the office that I've found is that it's really the, I mean, this is a lot of work. This is a ton of praying and it would be prideful and foolish of us as laymen to, to try to take this on, try to pray the whole thing. Now, remember we've been talking, if you 
watched some of those daily videos, talked about immoderate zeal. It's important, it's very, very crucial during Lent as we approach the great fast. We talked on the daily videos all about the importance of fasting. You must fast to overcome the most basic vices of gluttony and lust. Um, but you need to be moderate. You need to moderate your zeal. If you start with a moderate zeal and you come into the divine office and say, oh, I'm so excited, I'm going to pray all eight hours every day, that is a recipe for disaster because you're going to do it maybe once or twice and then you'll just burn out and just give up. That's why you have to start really slow. Like I said, you could try doing Compline every night uh, or you could try doing Compline and Prime or you could you could get more into the more complex Lauds and Vespers. Um but there's another really um, important thing, and that is um, practicing the presence of God. And, and this is a vocal prayer as opposed to the rosary is a mental prayer. And we didn't really even go into that, and we'll go into that in future videos. But vocal prayer is all about uh, recollecting your mind in the words that you're praying. And so it's very important that <clears throat> you take the time to um, you take the time to come into the presence of God before you start praying and then you pray during uh, with with your with the words and keeping your mind focused as much as possible and offering that to God. Now remember a a willful distraction meaning you willfully turn your mind away is a venial sin. It's just an imperfection that you also um, it's not a perfection that you can give to God. Um but the most important thing is not that you're attentive, but that you're humble. And so one of the greatest tricks, that, and this came from, um, I know that's in humility of heart, but a priest told me that it came from St. Therese. And she said that when you feel these distractions, or even if you willfully entertain them, use it for an occasion of humility. And, and, and you may pause and say, oh Lord, look at what great need I have of your grace to stay attentive and pray with humility. And the prayer of humility is what is truly pleasing to God it, it, more than the attentive prayer because a prayer that is humble is more pleasing and more glorifying to God than a prayer that is an attentive because you can be attentive and be prideful and that's, uh, that's detestable to God. So that's a very important thing to remember with the, with the divine office. Now, the, the, the Benedictine version, this one, I think I mentioned it's like $40.00. Um, what's great about it is that it does, it has Latin and English, but the, the English is also sacred English. So it does have these and those. And that's what I think makes this one the best version really for you to get is because it does have the English that's sacred so that you can pray, um, with the sacred English if you don't know Latin. Um, so I'd really recommend this. This is what I would recommend out of all the breviaries is the St. Michael's press monastic diurnal. If you want to get in the divine office. And I'm going to link the, uh, the, there's also a prayer before and after the divine office. And those, those are great prayers to get recollected and, and get um, in the presence of God. Um, but there's, there's more uh, important even than everything, everything we talked about here today with prayer. And that's mental prayer. And we're going to take that up in future videos because everybody needs to be doing mental prayer. Um, and uh, we'll talk also about ejaculatory prayers and uh, vocal prayers throughout the day and how to sanctify your day with prayer. But uh, the most important thing is to keep from a moderate zeal. Do a discipline that you really can do. Think about it. What can you really do for Lent? That's not going to be too much for you, but you know you can do. And then just start committing to that one thing. 
try it. You could try doing stuff to your JSMA, see if it if it's really not a, not too much for you, and then just commit to that and know you can do it and get it done. Commit to it, do it for the great fast, and then keep that discipline going in the future. That's the point. So. Talked about the rosary. We talked about divine office. In the future, we'll talk more about other aspects of prayer. Um, I hope this was helpful. If you have any questions about the divine office, let me know. You can comment, like, subscribe, send me any of your uh, questions. Also, please support our apostolate. Uh, like I said, my wife's about to give birth. I'm a father working jobs to support her, make sure she, she can just be a mom. Um, so your support helps us, helps us um, be a family support what I need as a father. So really appreciate all your support and um, send me all your questions. We'll try to answer them, do what we can. Um, our apostle is here to support Catholics and get us, help us get us all through this crisis together. Um, and that's what we're here for, brethren and sisters. We're here to build each other up, strengthen each other, get through and fight and save our souls, die Catholics, and pass the faith to our children. So let's pray for that intention. Um, name of the Father. Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.